never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome everybody. Pastor Eli James here. Today is January 13th, 2024. This is the Restoration Hour here on Eurofolk Radio. 7.01 p.m. is the current time in Central. Uh, yeah, 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 Brother Abers, uh, we're talking, it's 13 degrees here in uh, northern Arkansas. And so we're talking about, no, global warming has become global freezing. <laughs> and Brother Abers says, no, it's neither hot nor cold. It is lukewarming. Yeah, the lukewarm Christians are everywhere, no matter what the outside temperature is. And that's the problem with uh, the people who call themselves Christians today. are so lukewarm that uh, they're right in between. What is that? What is the optimal temperature for lukewarm where the coffee is neither hot? Somewhere between ice cold and piping hot, right? Right in the middle, wherever that is. Somebody, Somebody get a thermometer and figure out where that is. Lukewarm. If you be lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We had a great fiery session in Springfield today. Lots of discussion because this discussion was about two seed line and the origin of the Jews in the devil, the devil's seed. And it was it was fiery. There was a lot of passionate exclamation about the, this subject, and it is, it needs to be more addressed by people in identity because there's the, the non-seed liners who don't want to address. And one of the points I made was that you don't really have to believe in Satan to believe in two seed line. All you have to believe is that some humanoid who was not Adam seduced Eve and begot Cain. That's all you need to, you know, you don't have to believe in Satan even though those of us in two seed line believe that one of Satan's lieutenants was the one who did the dirty deed. The book of Enoch says his name was Gadriel, and he was uh, you know, one of the lieutenants of Samael, Samael being you know, what we call Satan and or Lucifer. So there was plenty of lively discussion about that in Springfield today. It was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Anyway, so actually, the uh, the document I was reading from was by Pastor Don Elmore, who I always assumed was a non-seed liner, but he just wrote a two-part article from the October and November issues of the New Covenant Messenger coming out of Kentucky, where he he goes all out in favor of two-seed line. So that was very gratifying, and a number of paragraphs he ended with the exclamation the devil is the father of Cain the devil is the father of Cain the devil is the father of Cain welcome to two seed line folks that's heartwarming (laughs) it's not lukewarming it's heartwarming so today I'm going to continue the series that I started on the true calendar Yahweh solar calendar and this article that uh, we've been dealing with is, for the most part, really good. What is God's calendar and what does it mean? I put the link into the chat room. And it's from standinginfaith.org, God's calendar, gods-calendar. And we, we left off, although we discussed this last time, Details of the Jewish transition from solar to lunar calendar, and the authors uh, insist that this occurred during the Maccabean period. Okay, but he uses the wrong word, Jews, because the Maccabees were not Jews. They were Judahites. 
And this is a problem we have with the vast majority of, of Judeo-Christian literature. They falsely believe that uh, the Old Testament Judahites should be called Jews. No, the Jews are not Israelites. They're not Judahites. They're not even Shemites. They are the children of Satan, of Cain, pretending to be Judah and Israel. And, of course, the vast majority of Judeo-Christians do not yet understand that. But we're here to make sure they do eventually understand that. Okay. So, Onias III, 199-175 B.C. Before Antiochus Epiphanes became king, Onias III was the last faithful Aaronic son of Zadok to serve as the Judahite high priest. Second Maccabees chapter 4 chronicles the betrayal and intrigue of his downfall. So this started out as a internecine war among people who are claiming to be high priest in Judah. But of course this was instigated by Antiochus Epiphanes who bribed, uh, who began bribing Judahite priests to preach against the Mosaic law. And part of that deal was to preach against the solar calendar and institute the lunisolar calendar, or just a plain lunar calendar. I'm not sure which the Greeks did. So whatever the Greeks were doing, that's what was being promoted by Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay. Jason, 175 to 172 B.C. In 175 B.C., the new Seleucid ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, forced Onias III to yield his office to Jason, his brother. So not only was it internecine, intertribal, it was brother against brother. Wow. If my brother tried to do that, I would really be displeased. There, there might be fisticuffs. But my brother was not all that religious. He was a Christian, but he was not all that religious. So he would never do such a thing. But if you bribe somebody (laughs) with a large enough sum of money, uh, anything's possible. Okay. So Jason was a Hellenist sympathizer who only occupied the position for three years until 172 B.C. when Menelaus deceptively ousted him. Okay, Menelaus. Now, Menelaus is more than likely also a Judahite, but Menelaus, I don't believe, was even related to anybody who was an Aaronic priest. In Judah, in Israel, the Aaronic priesthood was hereditary. Hereditary. So this episode here ends the hereditary priesthood. It ended before the Romans invaded, and it even ended before the Edomites were conscripted by John Hyrcanus to join in the nation of Judah, thereby bastardizing the nation of Judah, although I don't believe to any great extent because I don't believe there's many, and many Edomites moved up from Edom to intermarry with Judahites, that they would have rejected such marriages in the first place. However, the Herodians were put in power by the Romans and had the Roman army to twist the arms and get rid of any people who objected to the, the person they selected, namely Herod, to rule over Judah. So here we have the Greeks now destroying our hereditary priesthood. And then the Romans destroyed the Davidic royalty. So that's how, in that order, the Greeks destroyed the hereditary priesthood. And the Romans, in conjunction with the Edomites, destroyed our hereditary line of kings. Okay? And we discussed the the, uh, the Yahshua cursing the fig tree that it should not have any fruit, okay? And that can be taken two ways, although uh, one of our members suggested it was uh, the, the curse of the law that because we weren't obeying Yahweh's laws, 
the fig tree represents us in our rebellion against Yahweh's laws, which is, it's good. It's a nice metaphor. I like it. But I maintain, well, there's actually two possibilities. That the, the fig tree that was cursed were the Judahites. Let me put it this way first. The, the fig tree represents Edomites who couldn't possibly produce any good fruit anyhow. <laughs> All right? So Yahshua cursed that fig tree. But it could also I- include the Judahites who attached themselves to the Greeks, the Romans, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the Edomites. In other words, Judahites who became traitors to the race and the faith. And that fig tree could represent all of them. And in fact, when Yahshua was crucified, he uh, the, there were so many Judahites who made common cause with the Edomites that uh, there was, they fell to fighting amongst themselves. And they all fell by Masada, okay, or even earlier. So this is uh, something that really could rep- be represented by the evil fig tree, okay? But I tend to lean in favor of the former, namely that it's Edomites. Edomites who had come in and caused the nation to fall. The Edomites along with the Romans, okay? So let me skip here, Antiochus Epiphanes the five. So I just wanted to give that background and then talk a little bit more about Menelaus. Menelaus, 172 to 161 B.C., in 172 B.C., Antiochus put the high priest's office up for auction. And Menelaus, a Benjaminite, outbid Jason, deposing him as high priest. So not only was the hereditary priesthood destroyed, it was up for sale to the highest bidder. Ain't that fun? How do you like that? And that's even before the Jews got involved. (laughs) The Herodian Jews, even before, and Edomite Jews, even before they got involved. So, but regarding the subject here of the calendar, he says, according to 2 Maccabees, Menelaus is responsible for persuading Antiochus to Hellenize Judahite worship, including changing the Judahite calendar from solar to lunar in 167 B.C. That's the important point. That's when the change occurred, according to this website. And I don't see any reason for disagreeing with that, because Hellenization means getting rid of the Judahite tradition, Mosaic tradition. After the Jewish Maccabee victory over Antiochus and the recapture of Jerusalem in 164 B.C., Maccabean leaders made a political decision to keep the corrupt Menelaus as high priest in the restored and cleansed Judahite temple. Okay, but uh, they did not restore the hereditary priesthood. Surely there had to be hereditary men available. Quote, Despite their firm opposition to the Hellenists, the Maccabees retained a newly introduced lunar calendar, unquote. And this is from a work by the author here entitled The Book of Daniel, Composition and Reception, Volume 2. The corrupt Menelaus occupied the high priest's office for 11 years, illegally, by the way, not according to the Mosaic Law, and apparently the Maccabees acceded, agreed to this, or did they? I'm not convinced they did. I would have to read this other document by the author here, the Book of Daniel, Composition and Reception. So maybe I'll do that. But first, I want to, because last week, I asked the question, what what was the role of the Pharisees in all this? Were the Pharisees involved in picking up Yashica? <laughs> Sounds like a Chicago aldermanic race. Yes, thank you, Seven. Right, yeah, between what? Between the hereditary priesthood and all the pretenders? All the pretenders line up on the left, and all of the real Judahites line up on the right. And let's vote, or let's see who we can bribe for the least amount of money. All right, that's how that's how politics works in Chicago, and actually everywhere else in the world. Most people don't, we in Chicago admit it, right? 
that Chicago is corrupt. And, you know, what's the saying in Chicago? Vote early and often. Vote early and often. That's true democracy, folks. So this is from a website called learnreligions.com, who were the Pharisees. And they discuss this. Who were the Pharisees in the Bible? The Pharisees cared more about outward religious form than genuine faith. Now, I have stated, I've gone on record saying that these original Pharisees were, in fact, Judahites. But appears to me, and I may have given them credit for uh, obeying, arguing in favor of obeying the Mosaic Law. But were they serious about this, or were they nothing but pretenders like Menelaus and Jason? Let's continue. This article is by Jack Zavada, updated January 13, 2020. The Pharisees in the Bible were members of a religious group or party that frequently clashed with Yahshua Messiah over his interpretation of the law. Okay, but by that time, they were infested with Edomites, thanks to Herod. Pharisees' definition. The Pharisees formed the largest and most influential religious political party in New Testament times. So, politics, folks. Politics. Politics makes strange bedfellows. So does religion. They are consistently depicted in the Gospels as antagonists or opponents of Jesus Christ and the early Christians. You got that right. The name Pharisee means separated one. The Pharisees separated themselves from society to study and teach the law. But what law? What law? Well, were they early pretenders pretending to be uh, scholars of the Mosaic law? Or was it something else? Were they? Are they the ones who created the first, uh, what do the Jews call their... Yeshiva. Were they the ones who created the first yeshiva? Were they made up their own law for filthy lucre? I mean, there's plenty of Judahites in the world and Israelites still in the world who will sell their souls for filthy lucre. But they also separated themselves from the common people because they considered them religiously unclean. Now, okay, so a group of non-priests Judahites declared themselves to be clean and the common people to be unclean. Very interesting. The Pharisees probably got their start under the Maccabees about B.C. 160, emerging as a scholarly class dedicated to teaching of both the written and oral law and stressing the internal side of what he calls Judaism, There was no such thing as Judaism yet. This would have to be Mosaism, but was it honest Mosaism? If it included an oral law, then it cannot be honest because Deuteronomy 4.2 says, you shall not add or subtract from the written word that Moses gave you. So if you change that and started introducing false doctrine to promote your own priesthood, then it appears to me that the Pharisees were actually Judahites who began teaching this nonsense about the oral law, if this author is correct. The historian Flavius Josephus, oh, he didn't call him a Jew. Thank you. Because <laughs> Flavius Josephus was a Judahite. He had Davidic blood on one side and he had Levitical blood on on the other side. So that's about as Judahite as you can possibly get. He was not a Jew because Jews aren't Judahites or Israelites. They are imposters. They have always been imposters. So wherever you see the word Jew in the Bible, just scratch it out, and especially in the Old Testament, and replace it with Judahite. Now, in the New Testament, because the word Jew is translated from the word Judean, that applies to Jews because they're half-breeds. Okay? And a a Judean is anybody who happens to live 
in Judea at the time, the 100 years before Christ and roughly the 100 years after Christ. That 200-year period is when the Judeans that who, who are not Judahites, Judea is a combination of Judahites and Edomites, and the Judahites, if you read Josephus carefully, you will find out that the Judahites constantly objected to the presence of the but the Pharisees, or they didn't object to the presence of the Pharisees because the Pharisees had them fooled. But they objected to the presence of Edomites and Herodians, and especially the presence of Herod, who was put in power by the Romans. So there's no way the Judahites of Judea were interested in having any Edomites rule over them, and they weren't interested in intermarrying with Edomites either. However, if you go back to before the Maccabees, if you go back to Ezra and Nehemiah, we are told there that many of the Judahites who came back from Babylon had intermarried with non-Israelites. And both Ezra and Nehemiah said, no, 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 you don't do that. The exact words, the holy seed has mixed itself with the people of the land. That is forbidden. That is absolutely forbidden. But what are the Jews if not mixed seed? They are indeed mixed seed, all the way going back to Cain. Well, let's continue. Middle-class businessmen and tradeless, oh, tra sorry, trades workers. The Pharisees started and controlled the synagogues. Those Jewish, no, those, and it was still Judahite meeting place, even though they were reprobates. Those Judahite meeting places that served for both local worship and education. They also put great importance on oral tradition, making it equal to the laws written in the Old Testament. So let's put it this way. There is a modern parallel to this situation. They're called Republicans and Democrats here in America. So the Republicans would be the Sadducees. The uh, Democrats would be the Pharisees. And the Jews are the ones who, who pay both parties off, right? By the time of the Pharisees, that was already happening. Although the Pharisees had the military might of the Roman army, to uh, have their will be enforced, their false teachings of Scripture. But also by the time of the, Ro the Roman uh, occupation, the vast majority of these Pharisees were already Edomites. Josephus is very clear that Herod exterminated the entire Judahite Sanhedrin and replaced them with Edomites. So, the modern parallel is both the Republican and Democratic parties composed mainly of white Americans are dictated to by Jews, Jewish Pharisees. Let's continue. They also put great importance on oral tradition, making it equal to the laws written in the Old Testament. So, but that is the traditions of men which is criticized in the New Testament by Yahshua and Paul. We're not to make up our own law in, contra in contradiction to the Mosaic law. Doesn't matter who it is. Could be a Judahite or a Jew. The Pharisees were extremely accurate and detail-oriented in all matters pertaining to the law of Moses. Well, accurate, I wouldn't say. They were punctilious and ritual-oriented doesn't mean the, the rituals were mosaically correct. The only rituals that really mattered in this case were the ritual sacrifices leading to the coming of Messiah. That, those are the only rituals that really mattered. The rest was just fluff and circumstance. But as typically happens with virtually all priesthoods, the fluff and circumstance becomes more important than the original law, right? Every priesthood under the sun has always been corrupted by subsequent priests. You know, two or three or four generations down the line, the priesthood 
exist to sustain itself. The priests want to sustain their income of donations from the common people, whom they despise, by the way, okay? A lot of these Catholics don't realize that the Catholic priest despises them while pretending to serve them. Same is true of the rabbis in Judaism. And there's a whole lot of Protestant ministers who are just going through the motions, pretending to love Jesus, but what they love more than Jesus is shekels. <laughs> Shekelanity. Shekelism. They practice not Christianity, but Shekelism, okay, which is a, a, a conforms with Judaism, right? Because Judaism is all about money, too. Anyway, while they were sound in their professions and creeds, I wouldn't say that either. That's an assumption. Their system of religion was more about outward form than genuine faith. And that, I would underline and say, that is accurate. Beliefs and teachings of the Pharisees. Among the Pharisees, beliefs were life after death. Well, no problem there. The resurrection of the body. Well, we teach that too. It's going to be resurrected in a slightly different form. We'll be able to walk on water and walk through walls. The importance of keeping rituals, which we do not stress. Ritualism. That's Judaism to a T. Judaism is nothing but ritualism. And distortion of the Mosaic Law, perversion of the Mosaic Law, and the need to convert Gentiles. No, there wasn't any need to convert Gentiles because there were no there's no such thing as Gentiles. That's a made-up word. And, of course, the Israelites were forbidden to even try to convert non-Israelites. But that the Jews will convert anybody for money. And the Catholic priest will, will do the same, right? Okay, you want to become Catholic? How much can you afford? Because they taught that the way to God was by obeying the law. No, Yeah, and that's true. And it still is. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But we're talking about the rituals. The Pharisees gradually changed Mosaism from a religion of sacrifice to one of keeping their fake commandments. Not just legalism. They were making up the law as they went along. It's not the law of Moses. They were changing the law of Moses. That's what was going on, and a lot of these Judeos simply can't grasp that. Animal sacrifices still continued in the Jerusalem temple until it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. But the Pharisees promoted works over sacrifice. Well, what kind of works? It wasn't the works of good deeds. What these works were more rituals, not works, rituals. Rituals not mandated by Moses. They couldn't sacrifice anymore anyhow because the temple was destroyed, okay? So they promoted rituals, and that's what Paul means when he says works of the law. Those were the rituals of the law. Farrar Fenton is one of the few translators who has that correct. In the New Testament, the Pharisees constantly appear to be threatened by Yahshua. Yes, they were. The Gospels often portray them as arrogant, although they were generally respected by the masses because of their pretended piety. Insert the word pretended or fake piety. Nevertheless, Jesus saw through the Pharisees as nobody else could. He scolded them for the unreasonable burden they placed upon the common people. By what? By imposing more and more rituals upon them. They didn't give a damn about the Mosaic Law. They were using the rituals to control the people, just as the Catholic Church did for 2,000 years and still does. In a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees found in Matthew 23 and Luke 11, 
Jesus called them hypocrites and exposed their sins. He compared the Pharisees with whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are filled with dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And that goes for any fake priest. Woe unto you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. What law? They don't get that they weren't teaching the Mosaic law. They were teaching their own fake law. You hypocrites! If they were teaching the Mosaic law, they wouldn't be hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the fake law and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees. You hypocrites! You are like whitewashed sepulchers or tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Matthew twenty-three thirteen and 27 through 28. The Pharisees could not bear the truth of Christ's teachings, and they sought to destroy his influence among the people. But by this time, the Pharisees were Edomites. There may be a couple of uh, rebellious Judahites in the mix, such as Nicodemus, but the vast majority of these people were, in fact, Edomites. A couple more uh, short paragraphs here before we get back to the main article. Pharisees versus Sadducees. Most of the time, the Pharisees were at odds with the Sadducees. Another Judahite sect, and I, I give more uh, credence to the Sadducees being Judahites than I would to the Pharisees. But the two parties joined forces to conspire against Jesus. They voted together in the Sanhedrin to demand his death, then saw that the Romans carried it out. No, the Romans did not carry it out. Pilate turned Jesus over to the Pharisees' own band of guards. It was the Pharisees who carried it out, not the Romans. It just galls me that these so-called Christians can get these details wrong. Absolutely wrong. Pilate declared I, several times, I find no fault in this man. I'm washing my hands of this situation. And he turned them over to the guard of the Pharisees, folks. The Romans did not execute Christ. The Jews did. Neither group could believe in a Messiah who would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. Well, he didn't sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. Only Israel could sin because only Israel had the law. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is not the redeemer of the world. The world is supposed to be redeemed by us by providing the correct example of righteousness by obeying Yahweh's laws, setting the example. And for a while, America did set that example, and people were amazed at how mighty and prosperous America became while we were still a Christian nation. But modern Christianity is no longer Christian. It's Jewish. Famous Pharisees in the Bible. Mentions of Pharisees occur in the four Gospels as well as the book of Acts. Three famous Pharisees mentioned by name in the New Testament were the Sanhedrin member Nicodemus, the Rabbi Gamaliel, and the Apostle Paul. But Paul did not remain a Pharisee. He just studied under, well, he studied under Gamaliel. But then he rejected Pharisaism. And became a Christian. So the only one here that was still a Pharisee in the days of Yahshua Messiah was Nicodemus, a practicing Pharisee at that time. So, and uh, he didn't know the Bible very well, <laughs> right? He did not know the Bible very well. Okay, so let's get back to the main article here Stand and Faith, God's Calendar. So I wanted to investigate the origin of the Pharisees once again. 
and uh, I think the author is correct in that you know they started out as Judahites. That I have affirmed from many different sources. But what was their position on the calendar? And apparently the Pharisees, the Judahite Pharisees, simply acceded to Antiochus Epiphanes changing from a solar calendar to a lunisolar calendar. And the Pharisees, even though they were Judahites at this point in time, really did not care one way or the other. Okay. So, he continues. The sons of Zadok prophecy in Ezekiel. The Zadokites and Qumran considered the Hellenists in Jerusalem to be apostates from Yahweh. Thank you for using the proper name here. While they considered themselves to be the prophetic sons of Zadok in Ezekiel's prophecy. So, okay, well, we already found out that, you know, you had it's a hereditary position. And if you're not a direct descendant of Zadok, then you cannot be a priest of Zadok or a son of Zadok, obviously. The prophet Ezekiel lived 400 years before the events of 167 B.C. Within this his end-time temple prophecies, Ezekiel prophesied explicitly about apostate priests versus the sons of Zadok, quote, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, unquote, Ezekiel 44, 15. So, but they, they were not Levites. They were simply another uh, family of priests. Okay. About the apostate priests, Ezekiel wrote, quote, Surely the Levites who wandered away from me when Israel went astray and who wandered away from me after their idols will bear the consequences of their iniquity. And these people are Judahites, not Jews. Godly priests. Ezekiel then proceeded, writing, but the Levitical priests who are descended from Zadok and who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to approach me to minister before me. So the Zadokite priest, priesthood supplanted the Levitical priesthood, although the Levitical priesthood was still bound to keep the sacrifices. And that's probably all they did. They kept the sacrifices. And they were not righteous, not anymore. None of these priesthoods were righteous anymore. They will stand before me to offer me fat and blood, declares Yahweh Elohim. They alone shall enter my sanctuary and draw near to my table to minister before me. We're talking about the sons of Zadok. They will keep my charge in regard to their inheritance. I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. So a very similar uh, command as that of the Levitical priesthood. Okay. So let's see where they go from here. The Jewish religion from 73 AD to today, now it is correct to regard this as Jewish religion any time before the uh, merger of, let's put it, any time before the, the Edomites perverted the religion of Moses and began preaching their own doctrine from that point on is Judaism. That's when Judaism began. It has no earlier date than that. Certainly the Judahites and Israelites never practiced what was called Judaism. You will not, you will not find the word Judaism in the Bible because there was no such thing. But in the New Testament, it's called the tradition of the elders or the traditions of men. Okay, so regarding God's calendar, the historical victors so far are the proponents of Hellenistic Judaism or Hellenistic fake, fake mosaism. Hellenistic mosaism, which is obviously fake mosaism. Zadokites fled from Jerusalem in 167 BC, becoming a marginalized sect in the desert under the Seleucids. Then the Romans completely destroyed them around 67 to 73 AD and they disappeared from history until a boy discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946. So if he's correct that they were totally wiped out, that eliminates the Zadokites from consideration and leaves only the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay. 
Therefore, since before the Pharisees and Sadducees existed, and 1,600 years before Gothenburg inventing the, invented the printing press, the world has only known the Hellenistic version of Judaism, which uses the so-called Gentiles' lunar calendar. Well, what about the Babylonians? <laughs> what about the Babylonian influence of the Pharisees? I don't think the Sadducees were you know, privy to the Babylonian influence, but the Pharisees definitely were because the Pharisees, by this point in time, were Edomites who were practicing the uh, Sepharvaic traditions from Babylon. And Josephus tells us very clearly that the uh, Edomites imported priests from Babylon, you're talking Babylonian Talmud, folks, and one high priest, at least one high priest was imported from Babylon under the Pharisee, the Edomite Pharisees. Fast forward to today, all Jewish and Christian writers, Bible translators, and publishers assume the Jewish religion's 2100-year-old lunar calendar is correct, and that is a correct statement. They assume that the Jewish calendar is the true calendar. That it That is false. Since it's so ancient, well, it's not ancient at all. It's 2,100 years. The Hebrew calendar is 6,000 years old, going all the way back to Enoch. Since it's so ancient, all our Bible translations and seminaries have, excuse me, have this perspective. And that is correct, the Jewish perspective. So what is God's calendar? This section briefly describes the Zadokite calendar and its benefits. Use the hyper... But no, he just said that the Zadokites were wiped out. Was somebody keeping the Zadokite calendar alive? Well, apparently, they didn't get all wiped out because he's suggesting here that some of these Zadokites became known as Essenes. Maybe he doesn't realize that he contradicted himself here. Anyway, description. In the Zadokite calendar, the year was always, always contains 364 days. That's the solar calendar. Each year consists of 12 months of 30 days each, plus four additional days, one of which is intercalated and inserted at the end of each three-month period, is still following the pattern of Enoch, the 91st day. 13 weeks of seven days is 91. That gives you one quarter of the year. Each three-month period is 91 days long. Four 91-day quarters combined in a 364-day year. Okay, and since our solar system has uh, sustained two major blows, Oh, the sun stood still on one occasion for nearly a whole day and on another occasion for about a quarter of a day. So that's how we get the day and a quarter each year discrepancy between the Enoch calendar and the current calendar year. Okay, I shouldn't call it a calendar year, but annual year, the actual physical year. That discrepancy is caused by these two delays in our orbit. New Year's Day and the first day of each quarter will always falls on a Wednesday. Now, that's incorrect. That's based on the false belief that the calendar goes back to creation week and also the false belief that those, those were 24-hour days, okay? So this information is incorrect. So, But I'm beginning to see that this article begins to fall apart at this point because it makes false assumptions about the calendar and you know the, the, the connection of the calendar to so-called creation week, which is not 24-hour days. It was eons. And the calendar was not instituted during creation week. It was instituted not until Joshua and the Israelites invaded Canaan land. They were practicing... They were practicing, the Israelites were practicing these rituals that they would uh, begin with, starting with Passover. Of course, 
the first day of the year is the first Sabbath. That's true of the Hebrew calendar and the Zadokite calendar and the Enoch calendar. Okay? The first day of the year is the first full day of the right after the spring equinox. The Bible clearly says that that first day is a Sabbath. And all you have to do from that point on is to count seven days. The next seven days later is another Sabbath until the end of the physical year. Okay? But the uh, calendrical year still continues with a day or two, depending on whether it's a leap year or a double leap year. And only then, when you have a full-blown spring equinox, the next full-blown spring equinox, that's when your next year begins. Okay? That's how the Hebrew calendar and the Enoch calendar work. Very simple. Okay. This calendar guarantees that a particular day of any given month will always fall on the same day of the week every year, and the the solar calendar repeats itself every year, starting with the spring equinox. Okay? So if if you were born on Passover of a, a given year, you will celebrate your birthday on Passover of every other year. It's just that simple. It does not change. You can disregard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because the Israelites never counted, they never had named days of the week. They simply counted the Sabbath. Sabbath, one, two, three, four, five, six, Sabbath. One, two, three, four, five, six, Sabbath. That's how they did it. Very simple. The 364-day year is divisible by seven, which fits God's pattern of timekeeping. Yes, including the 91st days. Okay, God created the heavens and earth in seven eons, not seven literal days. This is where they get their false idea that Wednesday is the first day of the week because the sun did not appear until the so-called Wednesday or fourth day of the week. In Genesis, no, those were not 24-hour days. Those were eons. Okay, the calendar represents the uh, solar calendar, God's calendar template. Sabbath days on God's calendar. In God's calendar, the seventh-day Sabbath repeats on the same days each year, and it's going to be start on a different day of the week each year, but it will retain that day of the week for the full year. For example, in the diagram below, read across from left to right to see the red Sabbath dates are the same in months 1, 4, 7, and 10. Read across the blue dates, same months 2, 5, 8, and 11. And, of course, that's true for all, all four quarters of the year. Okay? And this pattern repeats every year. All you have to do is count the days. Appointed times on God's calendar. And, and of course, the Bible gives us very, very specific counts as to when a particular day. If the Passover is the 14th day of the year. The Passover Sabbath is the 15th day of the year. 1, 7, 15, 22, 29, etc. Every seventh day, starting with the spring equinox, full first full day of the spring equinox, is a Sabbath. That's all there is to it. That's all you need to know. And you can just mark your annual calendar every seventh day, and you will know that that is a Sabbath. And, of course, the 16th day is the Feast of Weeks, or First fruits. That was a day on which Yahshua was re- resurrected, and a bunch of Israelites were resurrected with him. These are the actual first fruits. Those Israelites from the olden days, Old Testament days, who qualified to get into the kingdom, and it wasn't many. <laughs> it wasn't many, folks. Wasn't many. Appointed times on God's calendar. God's appointed time, see Leviticus 23, are highlighted in yellow. Okay, so anyway, let's see what they say here. Passover, 14th day of the first month. Unleavened bread, 15th to the 21st day of the month. Well, they're they're not counting the Passover Sabbath, which is the 15th day of the first month. Feast of first, first fruits is the 16th day of the first month. So counting Passover... 
which uh, the Passover feast, because you had to have unleavened bread for Passover already, it was actually a nine-day feast, because from Passover Sabbath to the next Sabbath is eight days, so it's actually a nine-day feast when you were forbidden to have leavened bread. Okay, only after this entire feast could you go back to eating leavened bread. And then they say, first fruits of barley, 26th day. Why, where did they come up with 26th? It says very clearly, first fruits is the day after the Passover Sabbath. Shavuot or Pentecost, first fruits of wheat, 15th of the third month. No, it would be 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. That's clearly what the Bible says. 50 days from the Passover Sabbath. And that would be, according to their reckoning, on a Monday. Or actually, sorry, a Sunday. It would be on, according to reckoning on a Sunday. But we don't have named days of the week. It is the day after a, a, a Sabbath. It's the day after a Sabbath. It is not a regular Sabbath, but it is a special Sabbath. Okay, Feast of Trumpets. First day of the seventh month. They got that correct. Day of Atonement, 15th of the seventh month. I don't have uh, Rob's calendar in front of me. Uh, Actually, Rob hasn't done a calendar for 2024 yet. But it's the 10th day of the seventh month, I believe. I don't think it's the 15th. Because Day of Atonement is not on a regular Sabbath. Can't be on a regular Sabbath. It's the 10th day, not the 15th day, so they have that wrong. Sukkot, uh, Tabernacles, 15th to the 21st day of the 7th month, and the 8th day of the 22nd of the 7th. Okay, so, well, Tabernacles, uh, the instructions for keeping uh, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles are very clear in Scripture. It has to be Sabbath to Sabbath to Sabbath to Sabbath. It's simply, it's simply a seven-day count, okay? So the fall equinox is the first day of the second half of the year. Then again, you just count seven. So the eighth day is a Sabbath. The 15th day is a Sabbath. But the Day of Atonement is not on a Sabbath. It's not on a regular Sabbath. They've got this wrong. And Sukkot Tabernacles would be the 15th to the 21st. Okay, I can see that. But it's Sabbath to Sabbath, so it's eight days, inclusive of both Sabbaths. I don't know why they have to, they are actually adding another day here, which they don't need to. Okay, so with about seven minutes left, resolving my own arguments against the solar Zadokite calendar. So this is the author struggling with the Jewish calendar versus the solar calendar. So this should be interesting. Before accepting the Zadokite solar calendar as God's calendar, I had to overcome these three major objections. One, doesn't the Bible talk about the new moon, including a new moon celebration? Here are the only verses that mention new moon. Quotes are from the Aramaic Bible in plain English. Now, the King James is going to have more verses that have the the expression new moon, but it's a false translation of Kodesh, which simply means renewal or beginning. And the, the concept of moon is not included in the word Kodesh at all. The Hebrew word for moon is Yarak. One, Numbers 10.10, 10, And in the day of your joy and of your meetings and of the beginnings of your months, not new moons, sound with the trumpets for your burnt offerings and for your peace offerings, and they shall be to you for a memorial before your God. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Isaiah 1.13, you shall not continue to bring me worthless savor offerings. It is disgusting to me. At the first of the months and on the Sabbath, you assemble an assembly, but they offer (laughs) pagan uh, rituals instead of what Yahweh wants. He wants obedience. Number three, 1 Chronicles 23.31, and to offer up sacrifices to Yahweh on Sabbaths and on the first day of the months, and feasts by their number. That's the true translation of Kodesh. First day of the month, not new moon. That's the correct translation of Kodesh. So they've got this whole section correct. Very good. I like it.
New Moon or First Day? I chose quotes from the Aramaic Bible in plain English because it consistently translates New Moon to mean first day of the month or the first day of the year without any reference to the moon. Here are the underlined portions from the six references above. And so basically he just requotes them all and says, it's the beginning of your month, beginning of the month, first of the month, beginning of the month, first of the month, blah, blah, blah. The Hebrew word Kodesh can either mean moon or month. No, the word Kodesh never means moon. Never means that. Nor does it mean new moon. It simply means renewal. So most translators assume that more than 2,000 years of rabbinic tradition is correct when they choose to translate Kodesh as new moon instead of the beginning of the month. And that is correct. They make the false assumption that the Jewish calendar is the Hebrew calendar, and that is false. As you see on the image below, the Hebrew word for moon, Yarak, isn't found anywhere in the Hebrew manuscripts where it says new moon. Thank you very much. So he correctly identified the fact that the concept of new moon is a false translation of Kodesh. Number two, why is first fruits of barley on Aviv 26 in God's calendar? And I think they're going to be wrong about this. Most Messianic disciples believe the first fruits of barley should be celebrated on the Sunday within the week-long feast. It says it's the 16th day of the month. That's what it says. This is the Sunday when Yeshua appeared to Mary and disciples after his resurrection as the first fruits of the dead. Okay, so why isn't it? No, he appeared right after. <laughs> he was three days and three nights in the belly of the beast. Not a full week. So maybe the Zadokites messed up. Or their interpretation of the Zadokite calendar is messed up. It has to be messed up because they start the year on a Wednesday and there's nothing to say that it starts on a Wednesday. My question, I emailed Asherit from the YouTube Asherit Dead Sea Scrolls channel asking this question. I recently listened to a podcast by Dr. Michael Heiser, who is in fact a Judaizer, in which he asserted that the Zadokite calendar is the only one that fits the numbers in Daniel's prophecies. Basically, I don't understand why first fruits can't be on the Sunday within the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why does it need to be after Unleavened Bread? Answer. Asherit gave me this response the same day. So this was a source of debate among my group of friends before I discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and the first fruits of barley date on Abib 26. Do you think that might be a scribal error? Are you going to rely on the Dead Sea Scrolls instead of the Bible? You paleos. And then he read in Jubilees. Well, does Jubilees trump the Bible? I don't think so, folks. Number three. A year isn't 364 days. It's 365.25 days. And we have discussed this many times. We know it's because our orbit has changed since the Enoch calendar was instituted. We're still obligated to follow a 364-day calendar and then do the intercalation as we deem fit. Yahweh saw fit to have the number of days changed, and we have to act accordingly. That's all there is to that. To that. Okay. So, this uh, article does go astray because of its false assumptions. Number one, that the Hebrew calendar starts on a Wednesday because they falsely believe that the Genesis is seven literal 24-hour days, which it is not. They don't realize that the calendar was first and the first Sabbath. The Sabbath was defined in the book of Exodus. It wasn't defined in Genesis. Okay? So, timing is everything, and they get a lot of these things wrong. But at least, at least, they're, they're correct about the fact that it is, a, it is a solar calendar. And how you correctly count the solar calendar is another issue. So thank you for correcting the Jews and their lunisolar calendar, which is nothing but lunacy. Okay? So anyway, uh, you can read the rest of this article if you want to. Uh, but this is debates between those who get the 
Dead Sea Scrolls calendar wrong because of their false assumptions. And the Bible gives us the exact counts for all of the feast days without fail. And we're going to follow the Bible, not the Dead Sea Scrolls or false interpretations of the Dead Sea Scrolls by people who don't understand that the creation week was not seven literal days, but seven eons. Okay. So anyway, thanks for listening. At least we got the fact that the Jewish calendar is a false calendar because it is a lunisolar calendar. That's all we really need to know. That's the important uh, fact we can glean out of this article. And, of course, it starts to go straight toward the end. But good stuff about the uh, new moon. The, the Hebrew word Kodesh does not mean new moon. It means beginning or first of the month. That's what it means. So they get a lot of stuff right and a lot of things wrong when they start failing to observe what the Bible actually says and go to other books. We only use other books to confirm what the Bible says. Okay? We don't let other books overrule the Bible. And that, I think, is prudent. All right? Dear Prudence, (laughs) Yes, we are in the 70th Jubilee. Next, in the year 2024, on the Day of Atonement, will be the 70th Jubilee from the day that Joshua and the Israelites entered the Promised Land. So, the entry into the Promised Land occurred on day one of the calendar, which was, uh, of course, the spring equinox. They entered Canaan land, and then they were instructed by Yahweh to use the fruit of the land to practice their calendar, their feast days. This was the first time that the Israelites actually literally practiced any of the rituals of the calendar. The 40 years wandering in the wilderness was just practice. They didn't have any lambs to slaughter. They didn't raise cattle, not that I'm aware of. They ate manna for most of that time, although Yahweh provided them with pheasants and other things. But they were not raising cattle and sheep, and etc. while they were wandering through the desert, wilderness. So I was very clear. You will begin the feast day calendar when you enter Canaan land and start taking it over. Okay? That's in Exodus. Very clear instructions. In Exodus, that is when the calendar begins. Okay. So, now you count for, and that was 1406 B.C. And let me do the math here real quick. So, and a jubilee is 49 years. 49 times 70. 0, 63. 63. Carry to 6. 28. 34. 3,430 years from 1406 B.C. is 2024, ladies and gentlemen. 70 is a number of judgment. As the Israelites were judged, the Judahites were judged. They had to go to Babylon 70 years because they refused to practice the land Sabbath for 70 consecutive years. That's why they had to serve 70 years in Babylon. For their good, the Bible clearly says this was done by Yahweh to punish them for their good. And when they returned, they reinstituted the Mosaic Law without fail. Ezra and Nehemiah reinstituted the Mosaic Law. They did not invent a new law as the Jews falsely claim. And they forbade race mixing all over again. Right? So this year, The Day of Atonement this year is the 70th Jubilee from the day that Joshua and the Israelites invaded Canaan land. So, from now on, the judgment begins. The judgment of the 70th Jubilee has to begin at Feast of Atonement this year. The Jubilee year is not a calendrical year. It is a special year that goes from Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement. It's it's not counted as a calendrical year. It's a special year of Sabbath. It's kind of like a Sabbath year. It's another way of putting it. But it is not part of the calendar. You don't count it as a calendar year. It's a special uh, observance year. Okay. 
when we're supposed to let the land rest. And all debts are to be canceled, don't you know? When was the last time the Jews canceled a debt? It's another reason why you can't follow the Jewish calendar. So get ready, folks. These are the end of days. The end of days, the Jubilee calendar is for the 70th Jubilee is in 2024. And so I quoted actually Isaiah 26, 20 at our meeting in Springfield. It came up actually this morning on Genesis to Revelation where it says, Hide yourselves, Israelites, in the day of indignation until the violence or the indignation passes over. So if you're not capable of fighting against the beast, then stay out of the way. A lot of our people are going to have to fight. That includes a lot of patriots who aren't Christians. A lot of them are going to fall in this fight. But the Jews have every intention of creating a civil war amongst us Americans. Okay? Are you going to fight with the Jews or against the Jews if you have to fight? If you recognize that this is the day of indignation, then you have to do your best. I mean, if you want to stay out of the way and not get caught up in the crossfire, hide yourself. Isaiah 26, 20. And I think that's a good way to conclude. Hide yourself if you can do it. Prepare. prepare, All right. Preparation for the Judgment Day begins seriously on this Day of Atonement. So I think we'll actually get a one Jubilee break, okay, from 2024 because that year of Jubilee does not end until Day of Atonement 2025. 2025, okay? And so that's when a whole new cycle begins. And uh, we will be in the 70th Jubilee at that point. Okay, and anything can happen, right? And Yahshua said, if those days are not shortened, and it's not going to be another 70-year jubilee. It's going to be much shorter than that. All flesh would perish. So those days will be shortened. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. And remember, when is the next election? The election is in 2025, right? So as we say in Chicago, vote early and often. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye-bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis... Government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.